Hi guys, welcome to episode 168 of Fitter Food Radio. So today it's me, Keris Marsden, just one half of Fitter Food, but I do have a guest with me. She's actually a client, uh, actually a friend now, I would say also, and one of our Fitter 365 members. And she's very passionate about sustainability. Her name is Shona Cherry, and I thought it'd be great to get her on the podcast to start helping us all really think about some of the choices we make around buying food and consuming food and food waste so that we can start to all make our contributions in terms of improving sustainability. I'm going to hand over to her because she is the expert having worked for Zero Waste Scotland, and now she works in the Scottish food and drink industry as well. Shona, hello. Hello. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This is a topic that I've kind of mentioned a few times on previous episodes. And the reason that um, we've kind of got you on here as a guest is because I mentioned in Fitter365, our our membership group, that I sometimes struggle with the fact that healthy choices feel like they can conflict with sustainability. So sometimes it might be that you're grabbing a salad in a supermarket, it's it's wrapped in single-use plastic. If you look at plant-based nutrition, there's very much a push towards eating more things like soy, nuts, avocados, so increasing the food miles of your diet. And so it's I think all consumers are quite confused at the moment. They want to be healthy, they want to support their body, they want to you know be thinking about lowering their disease risk and maybe have a certain personal preference when it comes to things like plant-based. And at the same time, they're aware that these choices are probably having a negative effect on the planet as a whole. And, um, you know, food's been shipped all over the world. So we need to kind of think about local and seasonal, which you're very passionate about. So you then said, let me come on the podcast. (laughs) I'll talk about this stuff. (laughs) Let's have a chat. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm really excited to have you here. We've got a big list of things to get through. Um, But essentially what I'd love you to do is help us all think about the choices we make on a daily basis when it comes to our shopping, when it comes to kind of maybe looking at recipes and coming up with our kind of favorite recipes that we cook on a, a regular basis and making sure that they're based on, as we've just said, local seasonal produce and, and really how we can build our knowledge a bit because I think because food is now available all year round, we have lost that that aspect of understanding what seasonality is, essentially. I don't think anyone is really eating that way anymore. And you've got some resources, obviously, that you'd be able to share with us as well, so people will know where to get some more information. But let's just start off with, will you tell us a bit about your journey with this, because you've previously worked at Zero Waste Scotland and, and how you got interested in sustainability. Yeah, so my background is actually in sort of main part of my corporate background, if you like, was in communications and events, a bit of marketing and brand. And I spent 13 years with a people development company and then kind of randomly just started. I've always been interested in food, always loved cooking. And it was actually discovering paleo that that sort of started to drive me towards thinking more about where my food was coming from. I left that job in 2014 to start a food business. And that was when I really started to understand more about local and seasonal. And it was mainly because I was spending time at farmers markets with my own stall next to all these other producers and really starting to understand about, you know, their passions and, and what they were creating. So that was kind of how it came into my awareness. And then it's it's a real sort of gradual slow burn over time just the more and more you understand about where your food comes from and what it does to your body you know the good and the bad that I think then has fed into us 
and I say us because it's it's my husband and I, it's and, and my stepdaughter as a family, we have moved more and more over time into what we believe is a more sustainable diet and lifestyle more generally for us. It's probably important to say that I think this is really individual <laughs> for everybody. It's really different. Sustainable lifestyles look different depending on who you are, where you are in the world, you know, what your job is and and, and all sorts of socioeconomic things that we might come on to later but for us it's it kind of started with food and it led into so many other things as well so there's an awful lot of things that we have changed about the the way that we live I had a food business for about four years or something it was four or five years and then decided that I needed to get back into a workplace and that was when I went into Zero Waste Scotland so probably important to say that I'm not a scientist (laughs) so so what I'm going to share today you know there are some facts and figures that are, are sort of in the general knowledge but my experience is just that as experience it comes from kind of life experience and the work that I did at Zero Waste Scotland as well. Everyone's probably breathing a sigh of relief because I know personally when I've looked into things like regenerative agriculture and trying to understand it, it can get very technical and you can get a little bit overwhelmed with it. And, you know, so I think it is nice anything that you can share that's a little bit more practical and and your own journey. And I love that you've done it as a family because I think obviously every single generation needs to develop this awareness because like you said, it's personal in terms of what, how we're making the choices and we'll go through different phases of life, we'll live in different places, we'll have different degrees of wealth as well, which will allow us to maybe make different choices. So I think it's nice that we're doing it as a team. And I'd imagine there's going to be a legacy then for you know people around you are going to start to pick up on what you're doing and, and hopefully again the generations that follow. Yeah, hopefully. Um, I, I really hope in particular that my stepdaughter is 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 just by observing what we do rather than it be in a you know a, an explicit conversation she just sees how we live and I, I hope that that influences her um as she gets a little bit older but but yeah so the role at zero waste scotland was food waste was reducing food waste and that was working with businesses schools universities and and, and different partners to to reduce food waste because food waste is a massive, massive problem, much bigger than most people realise. And unfortunately, it hasn't had a sexy David Attenborough <laughs> uh, documentary to, yeah, to, to bring it into everyone's consciousness. So it, it's something that I think most of us don't really think about that much. And we put our attention elsewhere on things like plastic, when actually, if we really wanted to reduce our carbon footprint, our time would be best spent on on something like reducing our food waste or looking at our transportation and massive, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. In terms of climate change, food waste is a much much bigger problem for climate change than than plastic is. Plastic is still an issue, you know, um, and actually I, I I would change it to single use items and not just make it about plastic, but we can come on to that in detail a wee bit later on as well. But yeah, food waste is, is is a huge, huge deal. What's your thoughts on, um, I've got to ask this, um, sell by dates, use by dates? Oh, <laughs> God, it's such, it's such a minefield. <laughs> There's actually a lot of work going on at the moment. So there are the UK body that looks at this is an organisation called RAP. Great resources, go to their website, have a look. And is that a WRAP? Yes. Uh-huh. So they're a UK government organisation and then Zero Waste Scotland sort of does the equivalent in Scotland. And it's looking at just this. So this issue of best before used by, what does this really mean? People find it confusing. 
best before just essentially means this this item will taste best if you eat it before this date but if you eat it beyond that date it's okay okay so, okay yeah, yeah. whereas used so, by is obviously whereas used by yes yeah, yeah, things like chicken and and you know raw meats and things like that where it, it's really important that you don't eat that beyond that date now me personally I might I might be <laughs> insensitive. <laughs> yeah. I used to, <laughs> just say, we've lost that ability. You know, we've sort of given our trust over to to supermarkets and food producers to tell us when things are good and bad when our grannies never did that. They just picked it up, looked at it, and um in fact they would never have got that far. They would never have allowed it to get to the point where it might have spoiled, you know. Yeah, of course, of course. It's interesting in lockdown, there was a couple of occasions I'd end up in the going into the supermarket at the end of the day, and because less people were shopping, there was huge amounts of fresh oh, yeah. fish and meat on all yellow ticketed because it was that day. And I just used to buy the lot and, and stick it in the free, especially the fish, because you know it's amazing fish that you could get like for next to nothing and then Matt yeah. was like, we need to do and we actually are trying to do it a little bit more like go at the very end of the day and mm. and get all the stuff that's that's essentially going to be chucked out but it also never ceases to amaze me if you especially if you live in london go past the places like pret and things like that the amount of food that's left at the end of the day i know they give a lot of it away to the kind of homeless charities but i think a lot of that must be just chucked away essentially yeah and there's something that's happened in the way that we value food so it's just not the same value that we put on food that we used to and it's much more disposable than it used to be in our I sort of say grandparents again but even in my parents you know I can't ever imagine my mum when I was a child just chucking stuff away in the way that some people do because they might look at it and think it doesn't look quite as nice as it did last week or I bought too much. I also think that shopping deliveries have a lot to answer for here because it's the convenience element of it. Quite often people will just reorder the same stuff every week. You know, on your Tesco online order, you just click the button and it sends you exactly the same stuff that you got last week, but you might not need it all. You know, you've, you've not really done the, the sort of audit of the fridge and said, oh, actually, I've still got chicken breasts there. I don't need those this week. I'm going to take those off the list. So there's the convenience element of it is huge as well, I think. What do you think, what, what could people be doing? I mean, I've just kind of mentioned we kind of go and try and buy the things that are going to be essentially wasted and, and, and get them you know, at the very end of the day. And, and in our village, actually, they, the church parish started a, a larder, which is a couple of volunteers drive to the supermarkets, the bakeries on a Friday morning and a Thursday afternoon and get all the stuff that's about to be chucked out. And it all goes into the church hall. And then for £2, anyone can go in and take as much as they like. And it's an amazing idea. And that's the kind of thing that I think we need. But this is a very small, you know, kind of village in Kent. It's easy to do that. Uh, and if anything, I had ideas about how to make it more efficient. I was like, this should happen three times a week, you know, because it's there's food waste every single day. So, yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, I wasn't the one organising a big host of volunteers. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> So that yeah, there's there's a lot of that happens now, and these are really really brilliant initiatives. In my role on food waste, how we looked at it was we had a food waste hierarchy where the, at the very top you worked to reduce it in the first place. So what could you do to avoid that happening at all? To avoid having to take that food elsewhere and have it redistributed, which is the next level down in the food waste hierarchy. So essentially supermarkets produce too much food. That, that's that's it, the, the sort of black and white of it. And at the moment, there's no real incentive for them to stop. It's incredibly cheap. 
the price we could go into the the sort of detail of farmers and and how much they get for their produce and it really is not an awful lot of money and the demands of the supermarkets and how they are really the ones that hold all of the power in the supply chain and that's in terms of both where they get it from and where they're giving it to so in terms of us as consumers but there are some things that we can do to lobby supermarkets supermarkets are all generally i think all of them are signed up to a wrap um facilitated group called quarter 2025 and and that's to reduce food waste by can't remember the amount i think it might be 20% or something by 2025 and they're all in this group together and and uh, they monthly meetings and they discuss how they're, they're going about reducing their food waste. Um, but part of that is that they redistribute it. So that's those larders. So there's a community fridge in Dundee as well that I was involved in and they are open every day. They're open seven days a week. Amazing. Um, and they have a couple of fridges and a couple of freezers as well. So they can take quite a lot of food. It's run by uh, paid workers and volunteers and they go around all of the supermarkets in the area and collect the foods. So there are benefits to that, of course. It means that it's not going to waste. It means that people who need it can get it. But what it has kind of unintended consequence of that might be that it doesn't give the supermarket any impetus to change yeah. it. You know, yeah, so yeah. They're, they're not incentivized to to change it because they're ticking the sustainability box. They're ticking their CSR box. Of course, um, yeah, yeah. And, and they're getting to say that they give their food away to others. Pretty sure, you know, if you went round all these supermarkets at the end of the day, you would also see an awful lot of it go in the bin. We know that that happens. But actually, the biggest food waste producers are consumers. So it's not the supermarkets. They have a big role to play. But manufacturing, uh, hospitality... And also consumers. We are the ones who throw away the most food. So about a third of all of the food produced in the world goes in the bin. And that's the same for the UK is the same. So we're around about that third mark and that monetary value is about £60 a month. So on average, every UK household throws away about £60 worth of food every month. And that's what I mean about value. You know, we just don't seem to have the same value on food as we used to that that just would never have happened years ago you know and that's come from our our food availability it's just so great now isn't it whereas it wasn't you know go back 50 60 years you know even kind of my parents talk about how you would make something last for as long as possible a lot of dry goods were brought and stored in larders and and everything was bulk cooked and brought in bulk as well so minimal packaging in that sense and now, of course, it's, it is the complete opposite. And, and with the food waste, is it so in the, the research that's been done from what you've seen, is this people just essentially overbuying or again, I know obviously what you're saying, they kind of they can afford to waste it. So they are essentially wasting it. But or is it that people kind of can't be bothered and end up getting takeaways? Like, How does this happen? Yeah, I think it's a mixture. So uh, th- there is a, a bit of that. We we overbuy now because we can, and that partly is availability. Partly that is wanting a feeling of abundance. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. people like to open their fridge and see lots of lovely food in there and have choice. And we're all hoarders as well, aren't we? I, even I can be bad for that. Like, oh, I like yeah. to have like, at least ten bars of dark chocolate. <laughs> in my, in my yeah. <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> and, and obviously, like COVID made that awful, you know, it worked so much worse. Oh, yeah. And yeah. everyone started hoarding food. The, the people who've done really well at COVID is the supermarkets. Yeah, um, of course. Really well. 
yeah, so we overbuy. We tend not to plan as as much as we might have done in the past. We all just lead very, very busy lives now. And that contributes to maybe a lack of planning. Maybe I meant to make a Spanish chicken dish last night and I could not be bothered when I got home from work. So I grabbed a chippy on the way home instead and that ended up going to waste. So there's lots of things going on there. Um, also, things like multi-packs and supermarkets don't help. So if I go into a supermarket and I want to buy some apples, most people are picking up six of them because that's what's in a bag. That happens a lot. Bags of potatoes, bags of, so the commonly, really commonly wasted items are potatoes is really huge. Things like bananas get wasted because you buy a whole bunch and it sits there all week and kind of gone brown by the end of the week. So mm, don't really like that. You could put them in the freezer, of course. As I say that, yeah, we, we put yeah, them in the freezer so, when we can see them going bad. Yeah, yeah. See, you, you probably know all this stuff about how to reduce your food waste. There, there's not a lot that, that won't go in your freezer. There's not a lot of things at all that won't go in your freezer, especially you if you freeze blanch them. I've never froze potatoes, but I suppose you not could actually cook chips and then freeze chips. Or you could yeah, cook yeah. mash and freeze mash. Yeah, um, of course. Or you could blanch them and 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 then freeze them. And the, the only sort of vegetables that you can't do very well in the freezer are, are really, really water-dense, like cucumbers and, and courgettes. But pretty much everything else, if you blanch it first it'll go in the freezer like I do it at times a year when there's an awful lot of it like if you get a glut of something then things like broccoli just stick it in the hot pan for hot boiling water for a minute and then put it in cold and freeze it like that and it's really really handy and then much but, easier to cook as well though and you do want it you literally just yeah, yeah it in a, in a, it out and put it back yes. in a wok and it's pretty much part it's partly yeah. cooked anyway so you put it in microwave or something mm. but but one of the things on that sort of value in food subject is the amount of the percentage of our salaries that we spend on food has dropped year upon year upon year upon year upon year so we only spend now about eight percent of our salary on food and that's the third lowest in the world really what well, I, I find that really hard to believe when i look at what we spend on food but then maybe like well, maybe not everyone has a mat in the in the, in the house <laughs> that could be a factor yeah, we're the same. And, and, but I, th I think it's about when we look at it in comparison to the other things that we spend money on. So we might be more likely to spend. And that's, that percentage um, on food is about what we buy to consume at home. Oh, so I was going to say that, that doesn't consider eating out the home then. Yeah, so yeah. We, we, we spend much more on hospitality now right. than we ever did before. And also now half around half almost half of all of the food that we eat is imported and that is up by a third since 1988 so the, the amount of food we produce ourselves is dropping and dropping and dropping and dropping and the thing about that is that when you're consuming via hospitality that is almost always global food that's sourced from all over the world that's it's very rarely in, in certain restaurants and then you know kind of usually mixed in starred pubs and things they're like oh it's local and it's seasonal but most people the very kind of quick food to go industry is almost always sourced from all over the world isn't it so your food miles your carbon footprint plus it's single-use plastics and things like that often for for kind of sandwiches and salads is going to be much greater but i, I don't well, i don't really understand with that side of things it's, it's so much nicer I know it's time consuming, but it is nice when you make it yourself at home half the time. Like that's one of our reasons that we rarely eat out now because, and from a kind of nutrition perspective, I used to supervise clinics in London and everybody is just kind of 
breakfast at Pret, uh, lunch in a kind of Marks and Spencer's to go. And, and, and I used to highlight that there's actually very little nutrition in a lot of those choices because what they want to do is, is make something that's cheap to make but gives a great volume of food. So it does tend to be pasta, potato, rice, bread-based, and then very little fresh vegetables, very little protein and animal protein, eggs, or even plant-based protein because they're expensive. So in terms of their profit margins, you'd often kind of open a salad and it's majority rice because that's the cheapest, one of the yeah. cheapest ingredients to put in yeah. there. So from a, if you're looking at nutrient intake, it's not something that we would always as nutritionists say, don't rely on that, you know, just try to get a bit savvy at making some quick things at home uh, that you can plan in advance and you can bulk buy the ingredients for and, and just make in five, 10 minutes, ideally. Yeah, those salads as well. Iceberg lettuce. I mean, it's just, just like a bowl of iceberg lettuce. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this tastes of nothing. And it's got like a single a single piece of pepper and half a tomato or something in it. It's just <laughs> yeah, and, and you're right. All of that stuff or, or the vast majority of it tends to be imported because it's cheaper. It's, it's, it's all about margins and, and not about our health or the health of our planet, essentially. So what would, I mean, what else, so in terms of things that people could be doing, there's definitely looking at their own kind of, you know, weekly planning, looking at trying to to kind of uh, prep your food at home a little bit more, cook your food yourself, ideally, and find ways to do that quickly if you're if you're very time poor. Is there anything people can do in freezing, or you, you've just said as well, so that's a great tip that they could look at kind of cooking and freezing things if they're about to go out of date. Sniffing. Don't lick the edge of the raw chicken. I just thought another one. You could give it the dog. <laughs> yeah, like... actually a lot of people say that. And when we were doing we've done surveys and stuff in the past, most people that you speak to will say, I don't have any food waste. And it's the same whether it's consumers or restaurants, you know, we we don't have food waste here. It's like it's just a total taboo and you're not allowed to say it. But actually once you ask people to start really really interesting exercise to do and the love food hate waste website is, is a really really good place to go for recipes that tend to be less expensive and also are there to use up food waste it also has brilliant storage advice so best ways to store all of your produce to to get the most out of it and i can't remember why i was going into that what did i say before that i said about giving it the dog is one option. Oh, giving it the dog. Yeah. yeah. And people who say that they've got no food waste. One of the best ways to, to really understand is just to, for a week, record it. So whether if you use your little food waste bin at home, which you should be doing, by the way, because yeah, <laughs> you will have unavoidable food waste and any unavoidable food waste needs to get recycled. Um, the main reason for that is because food waste is far more damaging to the environment than, than most other items essentially it really you never think that I, I, I yeah I was gonna say you would think it will just compost naturally but I know I know that's it and I used to think the same and yeah. the amount of things I learned about food waste is just unreal and it releases methane which is around it's thought to be about 25 times more damaging than CO2 to the atmosphere so that's why it's really really important when you do have food waste is to put it in your food waste recycling different local authorities do it different ways but it will either go to anaerobic digestion which means that it will be turned into renewable energy and some kind of digestate which helps as a fertilizer for farms or it will go to some kind of in-vessel composting where they'll turn it into compost but yeah having recording what your food waste in the same way that you would if you were going on a diet or wanting to change how you were eating 
and, and wanting to understand what your weekly intake look like, do it with the food waste. Write it down. Every time you throw something in the food waste bin, write down what it is. And you'll soon realise at the end of the week the things that you are most commonly putting in the bin. And then there's some debate between whether some of it is avoidable or unavoidable. So are peelings an unavoidable food waste? Some people would say no. Some people use those. And, and I know I do. It's something that we do at home. And even when I was having dietary problems that you were helping me with, Keris, <laughs> and I was having to peel all my vegetables, we we put them in stock and things as well. Oh, nice. So yeah, so some people put them directly onto plants in the garden, in the garden don't they? Without actually composting. I know, like yeah, two bags, I, can't tea and coffee. Tea bags and coffee can go straight on the garden. They don't have to be. Yeah, I, you'd probably have to ask someone who was an expert in that. But um, even home home composting is a really good idea too. If you can, if you have the ability to do that, and if you have a use for it, then doing that at home. And actually, again, Zero Waste Scotland, probably RAP, Love Food, Hate Waste websites have some great advice on home composting, if that was something that you wanted to do as well. Because coffee grounds and things are really, really good for, for home compost. Coffee grounds is something that we waste a lot of. And you will too. Yeah, yeah, well, it's daily, isn't it? Essentially, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Like, there's a lot of coffee gets, gets brewed in this house. Um, <laughs> And I, there's some really cool companies who do you know, are doing really um, inventive things with that. There's a business in Scotland that are making mushrooms from coffee grounds. Oh, um, no way. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And for restaurants, it's a really, really big deal as well. And it tastes. Wait a minute. Be... Do they taste of coffee? So they... I haven't tasted them. I never got sent a pack. I just got told that, that this is a really cool and innovative, you know, new business. They got some circular economy funding, I think. I don't think they've um, expanded to the masses yet. Yeah, so understanding what you're wasting is is probably the best place to begin. It's interesting because I think you're already making me think about, I, I could definitely, I've literally just put some veg on that I've cooked. You know, even just kind of you trying to use every single bit of the veg. I'm a lazy chopper sometimes and I'll chop the top off a carrot, but there's a good maybe like inch. <laughs> and now I'm thinking like, even that, I think I could be careful with my chopping and things like that. So I'm wasting less. But the fact that what you've just said about that it has a bigger impact, whereas I just complete naivety thinking that well, this will go into food composting and it's going back into the environment. It's, it's all beneficial, but actually it's not. And I think one of the issues is, this is a bit like, um, and I know you're kind of also very passionate about people knowing where their food comes from and having conversations with food producers and asking questions and knowing it's kind of like farm to fork. It's exactly the same in terms of like the wayside. If we just educate ourselves a bit more, we would probably be a little bit, a bit more on it on a day-to-day basis, thinking you know a bit more about budgeting, planning, and not being so flippant essentially. And, and that will accumulate much more than just doing one thing like you're saying everyone going I'm not using single-use plastics that's amazing however there is just so much more that we could be doing that would actually make possibly a bigger difference yes yeah 100% agree the connection to food is one of the things I think that makes it more real (laughs) you know if you have looked the person in the eye who's grown that food picked it with their own hands and, and are selling it to you over a market stall, that's an entirely different experience to going online and clicking a bag of potatoes and that coming to you in a delivery van. Going to a supermarket, I'm not criticising that. It's, for most of us, it's the most convenient way to buy food. And there are much more available options now for veg boxes and things to be delivered to your door. 
I do think that not in COVID times, because deliveries have been a lifesaver for many, many people during that time. But sticking with that has meant that we are even further disconnected from our food now. We're not even going and picking it with our own eyes. Someone's doing that for us and sending it to us in, in a delivery van. So, you know, you don't even know what this looks like until you come to cook it. So something about that I think that's really important is that we just have lost this connection to our food. And then also just having a, a an understanding of what it's taken to get that on your plate. So if you look at the example of usually talk about the life cycle of a tomato, but I'm going to say a strawberry because it's summer. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But the life cycle of a winter strawberry. So let's say that you, every week, as part of your Tesco order, you buy a pun of strawberries. In winter, that's coming from probably somewhere like California, where it's probably pesticide laden. It will have to be watered considerably because it's a very, very dry climate. It will be packed and processed in a factory. It will be air freighted, refrigerated to this country. So that is potentially the most significant part of the carbon footprint. So a refrigerated plane brings our strawberries to the country. It will arrive at a depot somewhere here. Then it will go in the back of a lorry and it will go from Loughborough to Inverness in the back of a refrigerated truck. Then it will sit in the supermarket in a fridge. So the carbon footprint of that is absolutely enormous. If we then waste a fifth because they weren't that nice, you're wasting every single thing that's gone into the production of that strawberry, not just that little thing on your plate. And then also, if you take it a step further, if that strawberry is then processed in some way, so the further away it is from its natural state, the higher the carbon footprint is. So if it's been turned into a strawberry cheesecake in Marks and Spencer's or a jar of jam or a freeze-dried strawberry, it's taken even more energy and even more carbon to turn that into what it is. So if you then waste that in some way, couldn't eat the whole cheesecake, bit stuffed, left a quarter of it, put it in the bin. That I mean, the amount that, that, that's gone into the creation of that is is immense. And I think we just don't really have an awareness of that. Like we just don't think about it when we pick stuff up in the supermarket. Even if we are looking at the ingredients, not really considering how those ingredients got into that dish in the first place. Yeah, it's amazing that you've just done that because, and I think we we might have discussed this where I said that there's quite a lot of cherry picking when it comes to people talking about sustainability and making changes to their diet. And a kind of big one at the moment is people saying, I'm not going to eat red meat and I'm doing it for the planet or I'm going to do a plant-based diet and I'm doing it for the planet. But actually, as we mentioned earlier, if you look at the carbon footprint of some of those choices, so, you know, if you're going to go plant-based, there's usually a reliance on, on, on soy, nuts, avocado, those types of things. But actually, I'm also seeing now every single hospitality provider has some kind of um, plant-based option, but again, highly processed and refined. So let's take into account food manufacturing and they do do normally use soy as the kind of main protein source. And or you've got these kind of meat alternatives now, same thing, lots of food manufacturing. But also I mentioned when it comes to pleasure food that everyone should have in their life, be that pizza, crisp cake, whatever, 
no one's thinking about sustainability at that point in time. So I'm not eating meat because I'm saving the planet. However, here's me having a Ben and Jerry. You couldn't have Ben and Jerry's ice cream because if you're vegan, then you know what I mean. So I think, I in, beast ben yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> so I, and I come across that a lot in, and I get to see tons and tons of food diaries in what I do. And when people tell me about their ethical choices, I just think that this is you just being swayed by one media headline or, you know, one um, even kind of, you know, one usually there's some kind of new nutrition study that's saying don't eat meat because of this reason or go plant based or whatever it might be. And one thing that I think really needs to happen, like you've just said, is that focus back to local food and, and seasonality. And especially if you do want to switch over to vegetarian and, and plant-based as well, it's got to be, and actually I've been plant-based for two weeks now, just to basically, and you know, this already shown it, but just to try to adjust my gut microbiome, it's a long story and I can't have soy. That was one of the things it was suggesting to avoid. So it's been really interesting because protein wise, I'm like, this is really hard, but mushrooms have been my savior, essentially. Mushrooms are going to save the planet, I've decided. Um, but it has, I actually have been quite a local seasonal plant-based well, on a plant-based diet really because I haven't been able to um, have some of the things that you would typically have and it has been an, and I've had to cook everything because eating out is just pretty much impossible I don't even recognize half the things in a lot of the plant-based products I'm reading them going I don't even know what 20 what of those are so yeah. Mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah I'm glad you mentioned the kind of food manufacturing side as well as the people think about the kind of traveling of food there is a good book actually that you might have read I don't know and, and listeners you might be interested it's called Eating on the Wild Side by Joe Robinson Oh, no, I've not read it. And she talks about how food, farming generally is also crossbreeding a lot of fruit to make it sweeter. And uh, as a result, it has less antioxidants because antioxidants make fruit bitter. So wild strawberries, wild berries taste sour and bitter. The ones in the supermarket, like a strawberry is the size of an apple now. There's some blackberries that we've we kind of got recently. Like and I'm this like, size. They're huge, aren't they? They're like... <laughs> They never looked like that when I was picking them as a kid, but, you know, and they're actually doing it on purpose so that there's much more sugar in there. So it's very sweet and it looks bigger. And then they also, she also talks about the fact that then if it's traveling around the world, it'll sit in these big kind of cold store places. And as a result, the vitamin C degrades like within half an hour of it being actually picked. So it's devoid of so much more nutrition, many of its kind of key nutrients by the time it's getting to you. Mm-hmm. They just also taste nicer as well, I think, when you've when something is super fresh, you know, like like you've just got it because someone's picked it out of field that morning. It tastes entirely different to a bag of carrots that's been, you know, sitting in Lidl for two weeks. It tastes better, it's better for you, it's better for the environment. It can be more expensive. I do get that and I understand the concerns that some sustainability diets can be more expensive and not just not just on the meat side of things, but on the plant-based side of things too. But there are ways to to kind of get around that, um, and and uh, particularly with meat, because I, I'm a big, and I know you guys are too, I'm a big, big fan of really, really good quality meat and understanding how that animal has lived, how long for, what it's been fed, even as far as how, is it, how far has it travelled to be slaughtered, what kind of ethics do they have, if any? And with meat like that, it tends to be three times the price sometimes. But we tend to shop smartly in terms of the, the cuts that we buy. So we buy the cheaper, less popular cuts that 
you tend not to find in the supermarket. We pad it out with lentils and chickpeas. And so if we're making stews or things like that, if we do have the luxury of a Sunday roast, then that almost certainly turns into six meals afterwards. Just last night, actually, I made with our leftover Sunday chicken, a chicken curry. But I also had a really sad looking potato one uh, sitting by itself and uh, three quarters of a bag of spinach. So that just all went in to create a curry. And I had half an onion and one stick of celery. So, you know, that's then turned into four meals, four hearty meals that I actually don't even really need to add anything to that. So I don't even need to add a grain to it because it's already got four different types of vegetables in it. And it's got the protein. And yes, I use coconut milk. So there are things that we will have to use to support the creation of new dishes. But it's got a bit of bone broth in it. You know, I've made from the last chicken I had. As I say, it's making your food go further. But I also think, like you just said, then don't overthink it to the point where you're, you know, I can't have anything that wasn't kind of made in Britain and produced here. And, you know, it, it can become extreme. But like you just kind of highlighted, I think if you start in your own kitchen, just, um, you know, having a little think about upping your cooking skills. And I think we're quite lucky in that Matt will eat absolutely anything. I can, so I'm not the, I'm not, I'm not the best cook, but like you, I'll see stuff wilting and I'll just go, I'm going to chuck it in a pan with, you know, a little bit of garlic and, you know, a few herbs and just, just hope for the best. And I'm like, actually, that's all right. You know? Yeah, I know. Sometimes (laughs) it tastes like feet, but (laughs) (laughs) but most of the time it turns out okay. Matt will still eat it. Yeah, so sure. I just say to him, I'm really sorry, I can't have this, but it's for your lunch tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I actually, because I was, when I was preparing for this or or thinking about what I wanted to to talk about, I had to take a bit of paper in the kitchen and start writing down all the things that I do because I, I just do them so automatically now that I don't really think about it it's just it's completely changed our behavior in the way that we do things I say we it's 90 percent me Stuart still watches me sometimes and thinks and says out loud it's just amazing how you use everything in here (laughs) in awe of how you do that but on the, the like I was talking about the peelings and things earlier on so on the, you know, the recipes and stuff are bone broth where they'll say put carrot and put an onion in. I don't do that. I, I think that's a waste of a carrot and a waste of an onion. So I will have a little dish in the fridge that the whole week I'm saving up ends of things and putting them in it. Um, oh, wow. And you boil so, all that up. And then I put that in. So that oh, goes wow. in with the bones. Amy now calls me frozen bone lady because <laughs> there's a bag of frozen bones in the freezer at all times. And it's not just the carcass of a chicken. It's like every time we have chicken thighs or every time we have a lamb shank or every time we have ribs, all of that stuff goes into a bag. And when there's enough, that goes in with the peelings and, and that makes the broth. I even keep ginger peelings and things like that at the oh, ends really? of garlic, the garlic ends that you chop off and the stalks of all of the herbs that we use goes into so I don't actually put the herbs in because I think it's a waste because I, I would eat those so I you know that's, that, that's that's really interesting because it's one of my kind of favorite dishes at the moment we stayed uh with a friend who's also three six five so you'll know Shona Claire uh, last week and she has a big family so I was kind of I was in charge of veg and I was like oh my goodness I've got to cook for for <laughs> four kids and Matt and Claire and me. And one of the things I was doing was getting two big pans and just chucking in, this is kind of my favourite thing to do anyway, but I chuck in a load of veg. So it's normally carrots and tomatoes are quite good when they're going, slightly going off. I'll have some broccoli, normally some kind of green leaves, some mushrooms. And then I just cover it in stock 
and then I just play around with it. So sometimes I do like a kind of Asian version where I'll be like garlic, ginger, chili, lime juice, something like that. Lime, sorry, I'm apologizing now for my global foods um, and uh, soy sauce and stuff. And then sometimes I'll do more of a Moroccan harissa spiced one. So I used to do it with chicken stock and I'd let the stock boil right down. So if you give it about 40 minutes, the stock boils right down and it makes essentially like a, a sticky sauce it's really nice and everybody always comments and says oh it's like you put gravy on the veg it's amazing if you just let it boil right you have to keep an eye on it as it burns but it's full of glutamine so it, it really does that's essentially what um, msg is when it's added to kind of processed foods but you've just done your own version with bone broth and um now that i'm kind of plant-based i've been trying to do it with vegetable stock but it's interesting because if you actually look at vegetable stock cubes they're again full of ingredients that I recognize yeah yeah yeah. and and so in the end I've given up and I'm just thinking well to be honest boiling the veg is creating a lovely broth anyway it's not the same without that I do love the sticky glutamine sauce that is amazing when you use chicken stock and things like that but it, it did get me kind of yeah thinking that actually what I should probably do is drain off the stock but now I'm going to do what you've just said actually keep all my veg peelings and make a veg stock because the only thing that I have found that's natural relatively natural is in one of the supermarkets a concentrated veg stock which is just carrot I think it was like carrot celery onion and garlic and it's just a concentrated version of it a bit like the liquid cubes that you can buy and that didn't have any maltodextrin or e-numbers or all the other kind of stuff that I'm like, what is all this thing, all of these things in here? So, so yeah. And it's, essentially they're just concentrating the vegetable and then freezing it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. That stuff really helps. I also, I don't know, I don't know if you'll tell me this is awful or not, but, and, and you might do the same, but when you make your bone broth, do you skim the fat and use the fat? I used to, I did used to, but to, to be honest, no, I did use to and I should, I should, I've got, I've kind of switched over to more, yeah, olive oil, just because it's a funny one, really. I, I was reading about the different, using different types of fats and like, sometimes I've got various different kind of gut issues and that saturated fat's probably not my friend. So I tend to use olive oil a little bit more, but for most people I work with, I'm like, no, no, just use the animal fat. It is the most natural, you know, especially saturated, it's probably safer for your high temperature cooking as well. Yeah. I mean, we don't use it really I, I probably use it maybe about once every two weeks or something like that most of the time it tends to be olive oil I also use a bit of local rapeseed oil sometimes and it's it's great for if we're having a treat like if I've made my own onion badges or something like that then the, the animal fat is really really good for cooking those types of things and sometimes we'll do like instead of having a takeaway we'll make like a tikka curry or something like that and we'll have our own onion, onion badges and our own nans and things and I use the fat for things like that. It's really, yeah. really good for those like high temperature, almost like deep fat frying type yeah, stuff. I was going to say, you should definitely be saturated for that. And my mum and dad do the same. So they would always keep the beef bone broth and put it on the potatoes and things like that. But that for deep yeah. fat frying, you definitely want it to be either butter or butter be expensive. So yeah, that'd be... I've also just had a thought for the first time and it never really occurred to me before because sometimes if I don't use it, it will go, you know, like in the, in the way I know is that it starts to go moldy. So if I open the, the tub of fat that's maybe been there for sort of three weeks and I think because it still has some of the bone broth attached to it, which is why it goes a bit moldy. I actually don't know how to get a bit into the detail here, but I don't know how to disconnect, <laughs> how to remove the fat and not have some bone broth still stuck to it. So I wonder if you can freeze it. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, you, you can, can, free- yeah, yeah. Because my mum used to, I'm sure my mum used to freeze butter when we were kids. I'm yeah, sure you she can did. Yeah, freeze butter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm sure you could. 
yeah anyway that's a bit of a digression um, <laughs> I was gonna say going back to the so for most people in terms of using a I think a, a nice balance might be like you said where possible if you can go and support a local uh, producer by via a farmer's market or a veg box or again look at the the websites that you've mentioned so zero waste love food hate waste where you could start to get some tips on a bit more kind of local sourcing. Is there anywhere that kind of gives information in a supermarket? What we do is try to buy British always. We have a little bit of a dilemma of a British and organic, but as I understand it, the organic standards of a supermarket are, are very kind of loose and therefore Moroccan organic, South African organic, who knows, <laughs> you know, and, and they've managed to create these loopholes a bit like tax returns where they can just make sure that a chemical is being used as a pesticide or fertilizer but because it has a natural origin it is therefore able to be labeled organic but actually it could be as destructive in terms of the effect it's having on your health as as something that's synthetic and man-made so again Matt and I have kind of said well let's stick with local where possible so we always kind of look to, to buy British and if we can buy actually in our region we do as well and then seasonal is our kind of next challenge that again we're not as good at and actually you you shared an article by Riverford that I thought was fascinating where it suggested that we should be thinking about doing carnivore in the winter I think it was vegetarian in the spring vegan in the summer so completely plant-based then pescatarian in the autumn I think wasn't it it was along those lines I don't remember the pescatarian one we had that sat but um, yeah it was something like that yeah yeah I love Riverford's content they I I absolutely inhale everything that they put out every week they have this brilliant newsletter called Wicked Leaks <laughs> L-E-E-K-S it's it's their content is brilliant it's always really well researched very balanced I never feel that I am vilified for eating meat but their content is talks a lot about seasonal and 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 local as you said there was something really specific about how even that is really challenging so it's not as black and white as as long as you eat something that's British it's fine they did a study, I think it was with Exeter University, where they looked at the carbon footprint of a British tomato versus a Spanish one. And the carbon footprint of the British one was bigger because it was grown in a hot house oh, with wow. um, a high energy expenditure. And it was actually less of a carbon footprint to put that tomato on a truck and, and take it across um, Europe than it was for the the heat intensity that was required to grow in this country, and then another one I've I've read in the past is about buying British apples out of season because you can get them in supermarkets out of season, but they're kept in these huge refrigerated storage and they're months old, obviously. So you know we can probably still go out and buy British apples in March, but they, they've been there since October. They've just been kept in a really really well managed refrigeration system so that they can still be eaten later in the year so it isn't really that simple which makes it very difficult as a consumer to know what the best thing is to do and in that respect again I would come back to wherever you can go for something local as well as seasonal so those two things together are quite important yeah in fact I suppose what you just said is seasonal arguably more than local because so you want tomatoes in the winter you might be better getting the Spanish or the wherever they're you know is there a a way for anyone to find out again in terms of has anyone actually collated this information and said what is seasonal where 
and what has the least food miles and if you did desperately need to have a lime in January <laughs> where, where should you buy that lime from? I'm sure somebody somewhere has but again <laughs> I think it's just super complex um, yeah. and because you know we're importing from all different parts of the world so seasonality is going to be different in different places at different times of year so your blueberries from Kenya are going to be different to your blueberries from Peru and Sometimes a bit of a giveaway, I think, in supermarkets is when they'll do things on specials. So sometimes, not always, but right now is a good example of that where you'll see asparagus on special in supermarkets. It's because it's in season right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And even sometimes when things come into season in other countries. So you might see in Aldi or something, they'll have like sweet corn on special and it potentially is because it's in season in another country at the moment and they have a lot of it so that they're selling it at a cheaper price so that's sometimes a wee bit of a giveaway but it's it's hard to know I think most of us are aware of of the types of foods that are grown in this country so we're really good at root vegetables (laughs) your carrots and and potatoes and and things like that are going to be grown in this country most of the time those are seasonal items we can get them all year round. Even in this country, we manage to grow carrots all year round because we do all sorts of things to them to make that happen. I just had my first bunch of local carrots of the season just a couple of days ago and I cooked a whole lot last night because I got really excited and we ate. I think they're all gone now. Um, they taste completely different. Oh, they're so good. Like they're these little thin ones and you just roast them whole. Oh, they're so good. But you get them with the tops as well. So we make carrot top pesto. Um, (laughs) yeah so we use all the tops and everything as well so bunches of beetroot you know those leaves are beautiful and you just chop up the stalks and those go in the frying pan or or whatever as well what else did I make last night I was having a bit of a cook up last night I made a frittata well that was funny I I was thinking about Matt with it (laughs) because I thought there's just no way in their house that there would be a leftover sausage (laughs) (laughs) definitely not (laughs) you <laughs> see like we I, I in days gone by Stuart would have just picked that up and eaten it because it was left over but now I'm really really quite strict about if we have the luxury of a fry up at the weekend and there are two slices of bacon left they go in the fridge and they get turned into a frittata or something else during the week like last night uh the night before's leftover black pudding sausages from Piper's farm oh, oh nice the best things ever. that went into frittata with two leftover mushrooms and some of the leftover leaves so it's I think I think a good point that you're making here it's one that I've made to Matt several times is if if we do kind of go and do a big shop and we get some kind of meat in with the farm shop and I'll cook it in bulk often so I might roast a whole chicken the danger is that then you just up your consumption of that so he chatted about this because he'd been like I'm going to have kind of two big burgers you know because they're all cooked in the fridge for his lunch for example and I've spoken to friends about this over lockdown who's turned around to the whole family and said lunch is not dinner <laughs> like can we just say like it's you don't have a main meal like three times a day or what you know which is what people end up doing because it's all you have to look forward to um, but Matt kind of said again I went through a phase I made a ton of veggie burgers one week and so he was having um, a veggie burger and a meat burger and then we kind of started doing things like lamb and lentil burgers like you're mentioning so they were just bigger burgers but half it was lentils and I think if when we talk about the cost of all of this, it's it's essentially if you're eating less, but you're eating better quality, but then you do find just ways to kind of bulk it out, make the meat go further and have a smaller portion size. And that's something that Matt has gradually, and I've seen him a few times, get his plate out 
fill it, you know, from the fridge, from the leftovers, and then go, I'm being really greedy. But it's not greed for him. He's not really motivated from a kind of body composition uh, aspect. <laughs> like the rest of his are. He doesn't really need to worry about that. But he does go, I'm being gluttonous now in terms of my overall consumption for the planet. Like that does actually affect him quite a lot. And same as as meat, consum- uh, sorry, food race. Now I've actually seen him try and eat sour hummus for that very reason where he's like I'll try it it's a little bit tangy but I'll try it and then his face is like grimacing and I'm like you don't have to I'm sure we could put it on the uh, plants or something yeah as long as it's, you know when something is off just put it in the food waste bin and and, and move on and don't feel guilty about it because yeah you know none of us is perfect we don't need a few people doing this perfectly we need all of us doing it imperfectly oh I that's, love that yeah that's the the goal really because you can change little things gradually over time so that it doesn't feel really overwhelming that's the thing is that I I think a lot of us are racked with climate guilt and anxiety as well and there are lots and lots of things we could do in all aspects of our lives not just about food that will make a difference but try not to be overwhelmed by it because I've done it myself you know where sometimes I think oh crap you know we've got loads more in our bin this week than we normally would how, how has that happened or making the decision to go on holiday that's a big one and, no, and as well yeah. like yeah we can we can get into a conversation about just quickly we've got like probably another few minutes but I was gonna say do you want to talk about the bigger picture because the other thing is is looking at you know kind of weekend breaks versus proper holidays and then what do you do on the bigger picture in terms of your household environment I can see lots of plants by the way in the, in the background there house plants <laughs> <laughs> yeah I feel like house plants yeah so like I said at the start it's it's a very long slow transition and you have to pick the things that you think that you can easily make changes to at the start so that you feel like you're making some progress and, and maybe think about tackling the bigger things later. But for us in our own lives, I talked a lot about the food, obviously, and that's about choosing more wisely about where it comes from and, and how you use it and reducing waste, but buy less stuff more generally. So just reducing the amount of things that we consume. So in Scotland anyway, three quarters of our carbon footprint comes from the goods and services that we buy. So it's consumption emissions are huge and that's everything from houses to cars to clothes, cosmetics, the devices that we use, food and drink, holidays, transport, packaging, all of it. That's like three quarters of our personal carbon footprint comes from all of that stuff. We've had the same TV for 10 years, for example. You know, I've never, I haven't had a new mobile phone, I think, for about 10 years. We buy secondhand now. We switched to an electric vehicle. That was a big decision. For us, it was financially a no-brainer because we do so many miles. And the government has a lot of incentives for um, moving people towards these things now. But actually, even harder than that was moving down to one car. So we oh, went wow, for, yeah, yeah. yeah so we did that during lockdown last year. So that was we sort of had lockdown to be grateful for for that because we were still significantly using the little runaround as well as the electric car. And it just sat there the entire time when I said to, to Stuart, my husband, let's get rid of it. Like, let's let's just move that on. And since we've moved more rurally, it's been really, really hard because he has a car at work all day and I'm sort of stuck at home without the ability to go very many places. <laughs> so that that was difficult. But I think it just highlights that. Um, it's the convenience element again, though, isn't yeah, it? That's it. Yeah. When it comes to Is food it, or travel, we're all kind of like convenient, convenience, convenience. And then at some point we're going to pay for that. 
Yeah, completely. And, you know, things like washing machines and fridges, people don't think that those are luxuries now. Those have become essentials. But essentially, they were invented for convenience. And, you know, we can have anything we want now delivered to our door whenever we want it. And it's part of that on-the-go busy lifestyle again, you know, that sort of businesses will capitalise on our desire for convenience and make everything more convenient for us so that we buy more of it. But that requires us to change our behaviour. We're not going to get out of this problem simply by relying on governments and businesses to do it for us. We they're, they're need... essentially paid, well, businesses need the profits and governments are paid exactly. by the businesses, so they're not going to in any way discourage, they're going to encourage. Yeah, so at the same time as, as sort of setting all these, you know, lofty net zero targets, they want us to carry on being consumers. Mm. Um, and those, those, it will be interesting to see in the next 10 years or so how those two things come together. But we have to be willing to have a slightly less convenient life to solve this problem. And some of that is changing how we use transport. Can we walk more? Can we use the bus more? Can we get on the train more? Which might take a little bit longer, which might require us to plan a little bit better in the same way that we would with our food. Flying less is massive. So the, the three biggest things that are, are emitters are transport, home energy, um, which is heat and electricity, and food. And transport's massive. So that's the cars that we drive. That's all got, you know, over lockdown. Yeah, over lockdown, obviously less of that was happening, but now we're being discouraged from getting in cars together. So you've seen so many cars on the road with just one person in them. And flying less. Flying less is is a really big one. For us, we've sort of taken a decision as a family that we would have one holiday a year now, not had one in the last... 18 months obviously (laughs) we would do other things ourselves to try and mitigate that to try and slightly offset that and that you can do that in a really formal way you know there are websites that will help you to offset your emissions please don't do it by just paying somebody to plant some trees for you that 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 is an option but you can also look at ways to do it in your own lives and it might just be things that are as simple as changing your supplier of energy to a renewable one or uh, buying less clothes I did a year of no new clothes god that was back in like 2017 or something like that and I went as far as not buying any secondhand clothes so I didn't buy a single thing nothing not even a pair of pants for a whole year and it was really I I didn't do like I didn't even write about it I didn't publicize it or anything it was just like I wanted to understand what it felt like to to not be sort of consuming in that sense it's interesting is most of us have enough clothes to last us in the next 10 years realistically yeah Yeah. exactly (laughs) and some of my favorite pieces of clothes I've had for 10 years like and I still wear them but weirdly there's a slight and I love that actually they often highlight this in fashion magazines when the queen wears something again or (laughs) the royalty they're like oh my gosh yeah (laughs) I'm like that because that becomes I think social media and we know this is driving this in in terms of always needing to it it went crazy for a while didn't it you always needed to be in the latest gear fast fashion and and now that's kind of there's a big switch and moving towards sustainable fashion and it's interesting because Matt's Strong Humans brand is it's kind of using recycled clothing but now you're going into the shops and you're seeing this is 20% recycled and you think well when you know it could be 100% that's nothing really and that's but it's still always trying to make people feel like they're 
make you know like playing their role in it but it's not enough I, I kind of looked at it and thought that's just neither here nor there to me like just don't buy it like yeah yeah it's a marketing exercise yeah um, definitely it's to, it's to make us feel better about the purchases that we're making and it's also uh, greenwashing so something to be really really careful of is just trusting what any business tells you any anyone who's trying to tell you something will will now use sustainability as an angle to do that so do your research, you know, understand really what's going on in the background. Sometimes quite difficult to do with these really, really large organisations because they've got they put a lot of money behind having us not know what really yeah, goes on. Yeah, of God, years, the thing that led me to that no new clothes thing was a documentary on Netflix called The True Cost. And it was all about fashion. And I watched it maybe about six years ago, I think. And it was mind blowing. I just that almost instantly changed how I looked at clothing as well. I buy loads of stuff secondhand now. I actually really like secondhand shopping in a way so that I, I never did before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're just fab. Yeah, um, I actually just like <laughs> I'm terrible. I like just going in there and eavesdropping because <laughs> gossipy, gossipy yeah. conversations going on in the in the charity shops. Yeah, <laughs> when when we were kind of had the little break from lockdown and they opened up again, I remember kind of just wanting to be around people and I'd go in the charity shop and, and kind of just browse through and looking at stuff. And I always take the dog in. They're quite dog friendly around here. And it was just nice hearing conversations again. I was like, it's like being in a little—I don't know—library. I love just being in, in charity shops. But yeah, you can spend hours in there, and then, and and you always—I've had some—I've got some amazing like walking coats and things like that that would cost a fortune normally. So yeah, yeah, I love charity shops. Better for your wallet, better for the planet. Yeah. One of the other things that I, I just thought about this this morning, actually, when I was checking my bank account online, I thought, oh, we changed our bank account too. So there are still lots of things on the list. So I want to divest our pensions away from fossil fuels because most pension providers most financial institutions are invest are still investing money in fossil fuels and other other ways that are not good for the planet let's say so we changed our banks maybe about a year ago um there's a couple of sort of bigger ones one's called triodos which is where we went with and another one called ecology building society and they just invest the money in in sustainable projects so there are things that we have no control over we don't have control over where our taxes are invested nothing we can do about that but there are some things that we do have control over and I reuse as much as possible as well at home so salad bags not the ones in the supermarket because they're crap <laughs> oh, like a, zip, a ziplock one you mean that would get your farmer's market salad in or something yeah, so they just have, uh, they're made from 100% recycled content. They're really, really sturdy. They keep the stuff fresher for longer, much, much better than a compostable bag. And I just wash them and reuse them again and again. And I do the same with paper bags in the farm shop where I've picked up, you know, a courgette or something. Actually, I wouldn't put a courgette in a bag. That's a bad example. Dirty tatties. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and jars and things like that at home. Like I never throw things like that in the recycling right away. I, I I will try to reuse as much as possible before it comes to the end of its useful life. Joe, it's interesting as well because Matt and I had a bit of a, a, a bickering session the other day because he was like, how many flipping glass jars do we need to keep? Because I do the same. And I've got, herbs. The same. Okay, yeah. I've got herbs in them. So I'll bulk buy herbs, but then I kind of like... like basically kind of partition them off into smaller jars so I can use them for cooking but as I was sorting out the glass bottles there must have been about eight 
protein shakers that fell out the same cupboard that he was going, I can't get my protein shakers because your glass jars are in the way. And, and I was like, why do you always have so many protein shakes? But they actually, they keep sending these shakers free with lots of sports products that either he gets sent because someone wants to see if he likes it and will promote it, or he buys something and they send him like a free shaker. So that alone is like, in fact, I'm going to go back to him after this session and say, you need to rethink your supplements because actually supplements generally, I'm quite shocked at some of the the products that I get that there are a lot of them in non-recyclable jars. So I think as in nutritional supplements, vitamins, minerals, and things like that, but definitely the sports supplement side, a lot of that comes in packaging that's not recyclable. Um, you, you can't recycle it essentially. And it's big, you know, vats and stuff. So that, and, and what Matt always says is it's, it's half full. So a big protein tub is like half, if not three quarters full. And, and, you know, and, and, and like I said, then people out there are kind of saying, oh, you know, I've decided to do this to save the planet. And, <laughs> but there's just massive elements of their life that are actually creating, you know, like you just said, the, the carbon footprint is huge in terms of their travel or their food choices or their, their supplement choices and those things. So I think just like you said, generally, all of us just start looking at labels and awareness and, and reusing stuff. And almost like, you know, you said audit your food waste. I think you could almost audit your, your week, essentially, and go, right, OK, where can, where can I now go? I'm not going to buy that anymore. You know, I'm, I'm going to abstain from different whether it be online shopping and you know all that kind of culture and, and step back and and yeah my dad is is really against it all he him and my mum fall out about it a lot because <laughs> she's like a dopamine junkie when it comes to shopping and they'll travel anywhere and he'll be like he drops her off in the middle of the town and he'll go to the coast or he'll go to the hills and just walk <laughs> he's like I can't stand consumerism <laughs> yeah it just it's getting worse you know we need yes, to get better at this stuff and we're getting worse at it um, yeah we're just being con- and I actually think we're about to see a sort of exponential rise in consumerism because everybody's been let out you know yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. like everybody's gonna go nuts shopping and as soon as people are allowed to go back on holiday again that's just gonna- <laughs> the carbon footprint from air travel is about to go bonkers I would imagine but what was interesting in lockdown was how much everyone commented on nature being you know a lifesaver in terms of just being able to see something continue as normal and how beautiful it was and I think we've all got to kind of step back and go if we value that if we love that you know we need to start looking at our impact on that and our relationship with that um, oh, 100%. next time we want that pair of jeans or that we want to order something and it arrive the next day and you've inspired me Shona I have to say I'm gonna I'm gonna go and fish that piece of carrot out of the food waste and make sure that <laughs> Keep your cauliflower leaves in stocks. Don't be throwing them in the bin. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, our latest thing was um, peeling potatoes and keeping the, the peelings and frying them in the fat from the bone broth so that we had uh, made our own little crisps. That was the latest Oh, my thing. God, I didn't even think about that. That's a great idea. So yeah. Matt told me, actually, that you can also make a version of pulled pork with banana skin where you scrape off all the banana flesh, just have the skin. And he was saying he'd just seen a video somewhere of someone cooked it and then shredded it like pulled pork. Oh, really? I did once make a banana skin curry and it was bogging. <laughs> is, that, is that good or bad? I have no idea what that word means. Really, really bad bogging. Oh, really? Just, just bogging. <laughs> bogging. Really bad. Um, yeah, I have tried quite a few strange and bizarre ones sometimes. Yeah, if you Google it, there are recipes online or almost anything. The thing that I have too much of this week because I bought two fennel bulbs is fennel fronds. So the ends of them that look like dill. 
you can uh, you can add that to everything. I know I saw a recipe for Tus- Tuscan soup where they said add the fennel, the Italian yeah. at the end. Everything this week has tasted of fennel. Yeah, I was going to say you have to like fennel. I love fennel, but I know some people are like, ah, I hate fennel. Uh, it's just so much of it. Like, you know, it looks like a tree when you get it. You get this tiny little bulb and there's masses of this stuff. It's amazing um, for your gut health, though. It's such a... Oh, good. It's, okay. it's a I'll really good carbonation. Yeah, no, it's good. So I, 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 I put fennel seeds and then the fennel, the fresh fennel mm. and then the fennel that you just said, the, 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 the herby bit at the top as well. Yeah. But anyway, I, we've kept you uh, from your day and I really appreciate you coming on to share all of this stuff. You've mentioned quite a few websites. Is there any other kind of resources people can head to if they want to start looking at making sustainable changes? One actually is the WWF, World Wildlife Fund, has a carbon footprint tool on their website, which is a really simple one for consumers. And if people are interested in in really kind of starting to understand what their carbon footprint looks like, just go and Google that one. And um, it gives you a decent baseline of what it looks like and and what the ideal is. It's quite shocking, actually. Uh, Yeah. I thought we were doing pretty well until I went on there. And, oh my gosh, and, if you're not doing very well, I don't think the rest of us are going to be like, like oh. <laughs> it's like heating your house and, and the fact that it says, you know, how many of you live in your home and how many bedrooms does it have? So things like that, are, you know, if if you're like us and you live in a three-bedroom house and there's only two of you, then that's not ideal. You know, you're heating a home that's built for right. four or six people or, or say, even yeah, more. So it takes those things into account, and the even though we were using an electric car, that still has a carbon footprint. So it, it takes all that stuff into account as well. the The only one others I could I were think I was thinking of were around food and Piper's Farm is another one that I follow that I really love. I don't always buy meat from them because I feel guilty because they're from way down in Devon, and I have some amazing producers where we live and. I'm really fortunate to live where we live in, in the East Nook of Fife because I'm just surrounded by amazing local produce. But Piper's Farm have really good content as well. And they talk a lot. They're even promoting themselves. Eat less meat, but better quality. So spend less of your money on the amount of meat that you buy. The whole three chickens in a supermarket for £10 thing just blows my mind. Spend that tenner on one decent chicken. Make it go further. And Hodme Dodds, have you heard of these guys? I think I put I think I posted about them before in, in the three six five. They are a British producer of pulses and grains. Ah, you did I remember that post here. Yeah, so a bit more expensive than you know your average imported stuff, but in the grand scheme of things, and when you think about how much you're paying for protein, it's really not that much to pay three pounds for a bag of green lentils. And that's what we use to to bulk out the other dishes as well. So they they have a really, really great ethos and, and are trying to expand how much pulses and grains they grow in this country. Well, see, they're down in England, Riverford I mentioned, and I should mention some of my amazing Scottish producers. Peelham Farm are a really good one in the borders and Ardross Farm here in Fife, Hugh Grierson, Balkaski Estate, which is just in the next field to me. And I also follow NEP. Do you know NEP? It was they, were, they became famous for rewilding. I was going to say, I thought it was. Uh, my dad brought me, well, he wanted to buy me a birthday present, which was to go and stay there. But oh, then uh, lockdown happened. So 
so yeah. I didn't it, it didn't end up happening uh, but he he's got me that book and I've started it and I'm, I'm I feel very guilty saying that I haven't actually finished it yet but I, I have finished started it yeah yeah but I love their content as well and and some of the stuff that they share about the, the work that they do and how important it is but they also now sell their meat and I, I think I ordered from them once because I was just curious to to see what it was like and it, entirely different in flavour because it's essentially like a wild a wild version of a cow yeah, yeah <laughs> which sounds kind of odd to say but but that's what it is you know they um they, they have no inputs whatsoever with these animals they're they're really interesting and I, I love their content and and the stuff that they share as well so we should do it. we should both finish rewilding i'm sure you'll finish it before me but i'm going to commit to that because my dad i brought it for my dad and gave it back to me and went you need to read this so i will commit to reading it <laughs> oh well thank you so much there's honestly so much and like i said i definitely feel inspired now to think about the choices that i'm making the food that i'm cooking food waste I'm even thinking now about getting rid of my car. Now you've said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's again, a big decision to make, but yeah. it's, it's important to consider. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We've got like we could go. We might used to be a work, working in London a lot, but it's not as much now. So I'm like, realistically, we don't need two. And I'm not going into London separately. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have a think. I'm sure everyone listening is going to have a think and and make some changes. So thank you so much, Shona, for giving up your time and and sharing all those resources with us. Guys, uh, thank you for listening. And um, if you have any feedback on this episode, do just send us a quick note. Uh, share it with anyone you think will find it useful, which should be everybody, really, <laughs> that, that needs to start making some key changes. And if you've enjoyed it, please do leave us a review. Have an awesome day. Bye-bye. Bye bye.